0: Alia, an unforgiving world full of wilderness and magic. A world littered with the bones of ancient cities and civilizations so long fallen that even the gods cannot remember their origin. The people of this world live in constant conflict against the world around them to protect the small parts of it they have carved out to call home. One such bastion is the city of Jarmalk at the heart of the Akan Desert. Built upon the ruins of a once magnificent city, the city is now home to powerful merchant houses. And that is where this story begins. For most of them, started with a job posting. Adventurers wanted for a desert expedition. Significant reward. Usually, the desert is enough to deter people from any kind of work, regardless of the incentive. Dead men don't collect rewards. Perhaps it was simply because those that gathered that night didn't know to avoid that particular danger, each having come from so far away. A bardic folk hero from a coastal town and their tiefling hanger-on, A fierce half-orc and a tribal halfling. A priestess of the goddess Aris and a halfling rogue. Despite the inherent dangers, they all met that night with Abal Bari to hear her offer. It was a simple thing, to recover an amulet from a tomb in the desert. They were even being provided with a guide, as long as they were willing to help her kill a few bandits, as well as a promise of payment more than most of them had ever seen. The desert was as treacherous as nature could be, but, guided by Zakira, they were able to defeat the bandits that had plagued her people and return a stolen artifact to them at their oasis. In thanks, they were provided with a means of clearing out the sandstorm around their destination. Killing a sandstorm drake to charge the relic, they were able to make their way to the buried tomb of Svaneth, the long-fallen king of Akenia. At last, using the now-charged Windcaller's horn, they were able to clear away the storm and unbury the top of the tower that marked their destination.
1: Entering the ruins, we found a long-abandoned structure raided of treasures of significance and far older than the desert we were in. Pressing deeper, we came into a chamber where the light from above poured down through a crystal and now into a series of mirrors and passages. Past the puzzles and traps, we eventually entered the tomb of Svaneth, only to be met by the living form of the ancient king. He warned us to leave this place, and that it was not a place for the living. Before they could decide anything, a ritual I performed to try and commune with the spirits caused him to fly into a rage, and he accused me of being sent by the betrayer, whatever that means. What followed was a harrowing fight that nearly claimed the lives of my dear friends Tim and Kizzy, and myself. In the end, the spirit of Svanith retreated back into the amulet that he wore around his neck, the amulet that we had been sent to retrieve. I picked it up, and we stored it away for the journey back to Jarmuk. Searching the tomb, we found a map of the Kingdom of Akenia, a lush land that existed where now there was only barren, lifeless desert. It also showed several other locations that might be of interest, so we took note of everything and left the tomb. I, of course, spent the time scribbling down all the pictures that we saw in my journal. Then we returned once more to the Savan clan's oasis. When I was there, I went to the Crystal Clear Lake, and at its center, I performed a ritual that would let me commune with the spirits. I had a few of my comrades at the time who were interested in what I was doing, and I wanted to show them. I was successful, but in the process, I was shown a vision that shook me to my very core. Unsure of how to respond to it just yet, I pressed on with the rest of the group and returned to Jarmok.
2: Upon returning to the city, they were met by a ball and taken to finally meet their mysterious employer. Living in the palace, one of Jarmok's merchant princes, Rastin, awaited. As Oleg told the tale, he listened with interest, and obvious surprise at the news that Svaneth had maintained some semblance of life for over 5,000 years. He then told them that the amulet they had recovered was known as the Emerald Heartstone, a powerful artifact, and that he was seeking the Others once held by the internal kings of Akenia to help him break a curse. Though he wouldn't give many more details than that, the group agreed to help him locate the Others if they could, in exchange for the right amount of money, of course. Raston arranged rooms for them in the prince's palace and said that once he had more information for them, he would call them once again. In the meantime, the group scattered to explore the city. They made friends with a local armorer named Killa, who was quite taken with their tiefling cleric. Olik eventually set off into the shadiest part of town in search of some signs of the local chapter of the thieves' guild known as the Shade Mantle. At a bar, he found someone that was willing to help him help him right into an ambush. It didn't go as well as they had hoped, and in the end, the party acquired the very same bar where he'd first met the ambushers. A series of chance meetings and events led them to tracking a missing member of the Shade Mantle into the sewers where they stumbled upon a group of cultists. They dealt with the cultists and the horror they had summoned without much trouble. Soon they received word that Raston was ready for them,
3: and that they had a
2: destination the stronghold of Gobran.
3: in order to traverse the vast desert safely everyone except Bitsy officially started a new defenders guild in order to protect the anvil of the sun caravan after much debate and against my better judgment we ended up naming ourselves 241 drinks in order to better advertise our bar the Bitsy spider in an explosion of coupons we headed out the next day and other than a small ambush that Bitsy and myself stumbled into, we made it to the ever-intimidating stronghold of the Ifrit. Once we settled in, we met with two of Rastin's friends? acquaintances? Associates! Thog the Half-Orc and Rufus the Dragonkin. Actually, no. He was shorter. He was a kobold. They possessed a map revealing the location of Gbrant's tomb beneath the nearly forgotten city of Cliffkeep. This, however, posed a significant hurdle for us to overcome. That city, along with most of the surrounding desert, was considered to be the sole property of the Ifrit Emberchief. Without his blessing, we would be tried for trespassing and spend the rest of our days working in the mines of the stronghold. Not to mention that, we were on a mission to steal a priceless and immensely powerful artifact from under his nose. So, veiled in a half-truth of being a historian, I went with our bard absinthe to request permission to study the ancient city. His burning eyes did not seem to see through our guise, and he gave us his word that we would go to Cliffkeep, if we could help him out with a small problem in the mines. Although it seemed like it could be a trap, we entered the mines to find a delusional spectator along with some undead. The resulting fight was pretty intense, but we exited the mine, bruised, however, successful. I'm not sure if the ember chief was expecting us to survive, but he was true to his word and gave us his crest in order for us to travel safely on his land. After a few days of travel on Axe Peaks, we made it to the outskirts of Cliffkeep, only to find it surrounded by antlion dens. And that was just the beginning of our problems. Harpies had also taken Roost in the city, and after a less than pleasant encounter with them, we were able to decipher some old Akinian script on a monolith, which revealed the location of Gabranth's tomb. It was safely tucked away under the dozens and dozens of antlion dens.
4: While a few others decided to experiment with throwing harpy body parts into the dens to find the false one, I spent time making maps of the area. This showed us that each night the lion dens moved while the tomb entrance did not. After that, it was pretty quick to find the entrance to the tomb. Once inside, there was a maze that shifted as we traveled through it, but we were able to navigate it without too much hassle. Past that was a large room of sand that held unknown foes. We ended up not even finding out what they were when Olaf summoned these awful screaming mushrooms and chased them away. After that, we found the tomb of another Akhenian king, Gabranth. He refused to answer time's questions and once we made it clear we weren't leaving he summoned golems who attacked and a battle began it was a difficult battle but our preparations paid off and it ended without anyone falling to gabrand's hand now with the ruby Hearthstone, we returned to the stronghold and where the ember chief was waiting we sent time and Absinthe back in to dog their way past him offering up as many treasures we found that we could part with including gabrand's bow excluding any mention of the heartstone He took the gifts and their word as they returned the seal. A few days later, on the trip back to Jarmulc, time somehow had the bow again and no one really wanted to know how. Once back in Jarmulc, we took a much-needed rest and met with Rastan again. He revealed to the rest of the group that the ultimate goal was to free the princess from the nearby island kingdom of Dulcera from a curse he felt responsible for in part. At this time, he mentioned that he didn't believe that the third heartstone was in the final tomb. He did want us to still travel to that last tomb to investigate and find the symbol of Ferreteth. The group agreed to take the final trek, but before doing so, there was some business to take care of around town. After everyone did what they needed to, including spending some time with my favorite shopkeeper, we took off to the city of Cajas and ultimately the city of Broken Airy.
5: In Cajas, the party learned that there were only two ways to get to the Broken Airy traversing through long abandoned, goblin infested tunnels or by flying with a trade caravan from Brokenary itself. It was agreed that getting into the city with the help of its people was preferable to kicking in the back door. While they waited for the caravan to arrive, a brutal murder occurred at the inn in which they stayed. Speaking to the dead man revealed that a gray-skinned tiefling was responsible. Olek eventually uncovered that this was an old friend traveling in his footsteps. He kept the knowledge to himself and, instead of turning her in, warned her, and let her go, despite knowing an innocent man would be punished in her place. The caravan arrived, but both Aarakocra and Rock were injured from an ambush by Strix in the mountains. Bitsy and Kizzy helped heal the wounded, and the party joined them for the return trip. On the way, the party's help was needed once more, defending the caravan from another Strix ambush. Despite the boulders lobbed at them, and nearly losing Olek to the gorge below, they managed to stay in the air. Soon, the Broken Area stood before them. A once-towering peak now sundered in two, the Aracokra made the shattered mountain's obsidian cliffs their home, expanding on the tunnels of an ancient city. After a night of rest, they learned that a new threat had moved into the mountains, one that caused the Strix to be forced into conflict with the Aracokra. Until the threat was gone, they would not be able to provide any aid to the adventurers. Undeterred, the party found their way to a passage beneath the mountain. Traveling through a ruined goblin warren, and dealing with a pack of Barghests, they made their way to the tomb of the betrayer king, Baratet. The tomb was destroyed by the same devastation that split the Broken Airy, and unlike the previous two, was almost entirely empty, but for the symbol that they needed to find for Returning to the Broken Airy, they agreed to investigate the beast that drove the Strix to attack. In the ruins of an ancient druid settlement, a vengeful wolf joined them to fight a fierce mist dragon. With magic and might, the beast was defeated, and the land made safe for the Strix to return. Exploring the area revealed a temple belonging to an injured spirit. Bitsy calmed and healed the distressed spirit, her compassion earning its blessing. With the threat gone, the party returned to Broken Airy, and with the aid of the Aarakocra, to Jarmulk.
0: Once they had brought the symbol they had found in the ruined tomb to Raston, the wizard needed a day to ready himself before they descended into the depths beneath Jarmulk. The party did their best to prepare and the following evening they were met by Raston, a Ball, and a Ball's bodyguard Oriana. Ready as they could be, they followed Raston as he led them to some half sunken ruins along the river and made their way to a magically sealed door deep within. The key to unlocking the door turned out to be the symbols they had gathered at the three tombs. They were cautious, as a warning to what failure meant stood before the door in the petrified form of Todd, an adventurer previously sent into the ruins by Raston. With Kizzy taking charge, they soon opened the door, and proceeded into a section of the ruins that seemed to be even older than the Akenian ruins they were used to seeing. At the heart of the ruins, they came to a room that appeared to be the epicenter of an extremely magical creation. Once there, Rast and Nabal used the room to activate the amulets and release the spirits of Svanath and Gabranth. The kings, for a change, were forthcoming with the answers to the questions that time asked them. This was ultimately a ruse that allowed the room to fully activate, granting them more power, which they immediately turned against the party. It was a harrowing battle, during which Rastan and Abal were slowly drained of their power by the amulets, granting the kings even more strength. Before it was too late, however, Svaneth and Gabranth were finally defeated, and their spirits consumed by the wolf spirit Kentha, who had come to the young druid's aid. Now that the amulets were finally cleansed from the spirits of the eternal kings, it was time for Rastan to free Princess Amea from her fourteen-year-long curse. They all returned to the wizard's tower, the amulets in hand, and soon stood before the princess. Drawing a breath and concentrating, Rastan cast a spell, channeling through the two heartstones. There was a long pause before the curse broke, and before them stood the restored princess. Confused and shocked, she eventually found her way to Raston's arms. Tired but victorious, the party left the two of them alone. After fourteen years, there was certainly a lot that needed to be talked about.